Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right On Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. Hosted by Ebony Lumumba and brought to you by the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. Chapter 8, Ron Nixon. Ron Nixon is the author of Selling Apartheid, Apartheid South Africa's Global Propaganda War. He's also currently a Washington correspondent for the New York Times. Ron will be accepting a new position with the Associated Press as International Investigations Editor in January 2019. Ron is reported in countries such as Belgium, Nigeria, Canada, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Uganda, and South Africa, to name a few. He's one of the founders of the Ida B. Wells Society for Investigative Reporting and a native of Lauderdale, Mississippi, not to be confused with Lauderdale County. All right, this is Right on Mississippi. I am Ebony Lamumba as usual. And sitting across from me, I have a surrogate brother, adopted brother, what's the proper term, Ron Nixon. Hey, Ron. Hey, how are you? I'm great. I'm so glad that you're here. Yeah, it's good to be home. Yeah, Ron is Ron is a homeboy, so he's a Mississippi native, um, but you're in D.C. Yes. You spend most of your time in D.C. For the most part, you've been New York Times reporter. 14 years. 14? Yes. 14 years. Right. That's a lifetime in my head. Yeah. 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 And now you're moving on to even bigger, brighter things, Associated Press. Tell us about that position. Um, well, I don't know if it's bigger and brighter. New York Times is pretty big. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the uh, Associated Press is a global news organization, obviously. Right. Um, and it's everywhere. So I was just named on Thursday the International Investigations Editor for the Associated Press. Whoop, um, whoop. That's... Or, you say it so cavalierly, like, oh, no big deal. That's well, pretty huge. It is. It's huge. And, you know, I've gotten, you know, a ton of uh, email and social stuff on social media. And yeah. Of people reminding me how huge it is. <laughs> social uh, media, that's, you know, like, that's family yeah. these days. That's the most um, intimate. Um, well, it's people, you know, like, there's a guy who... I met like years ago in Brazil was sending me like, oh, congratulations. Remember when we were talking about? I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, yeah sure. Dude. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 big in a number of ways. Um, one, it's, you know, there aren't that many African-Americans in, mm-hmm. um, you know, roles um, like that. So, um, so you're blazing some trails. Yeah, you know. Posterity—that's um, always a good thing. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited. I mean, I'm looking forward to uh, you know doing big investigations that have impact on public pu- policy, mm-hmm. or at least overseeing these investigations. Because that's not happening in the real world. Get out of my head <laughs> of being a reporter to being an editor. Uh, that the how different is doing. that? Well, you know, as a reporter, you're responsible for you, and your your reporters are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you're assigned stuff by editors, or you pitch things to editors, and oh, you're responsible for you. Uh, as an editor, I have five mm-hmm. people that report directly to me, and not only is it five people, but it's five people in different parts of the world. Um, so that's a challenge. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
So you've got all of these mindsets, these right. kind of cultural implications. Right. No big deal. You can handle yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. You're a force. So <clears throat> I want to talk about is I know a little bit about this, but like your start with writing. You didn't mm-hmm. start out um, producing these really brilliant articles. You mm-hmm. this wasn't really your intended trajectory. Just Tell us a little bit about how you started for those, especially just, for folks who may want right. to step into your um, shoes. You mean how I started writing yeah. or how I ended up writing? Um, <laughs> is, there, is there a difference? <laughs> there's, there's a difference. Um, so, no, my goal was not to be a writer. My goal was to – initially, my goal was to be Batman. And well, then I I couldn't – That was Exactly. Mine right. Yeah. So I couldn't <laughs> – you know, the whole cave. Um, Alfred. Know, yeah, Alfred, yeah. Batmobile, being a billionaire. Well, I, then there I, was yeah. that part. Yeah, so I, you know, kind of didn't, that didn't work. So, <laughs> All the pieces weren't in place. Um, then, you know, I, I wanted to actually, um, <clears throat> I was a musician, so that's uh, what, what I did. So I, I knew I, that, but I can't remember what instrument. It's not one. It, it's several. So I, at one point, could play wow. about 21 different instruments. Um, and see, I don't even think I knew there were 21 so, different <laughs> instruments. That so I wanted to um, do basically what, for older people, what Quincy Jones did. For younger people, what Pharrell does. So, you know. Well, just, I mean, just, right. just right. dropping a few right. names, like right. the most dynamic right. folks. In and music. so that's what Have I want to do. Have you seen that documentary? Mm-hmm. The Quincy? Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's definitely. insane. Okay. It is. I digress. It, it, I don't, but it, it is insane. <laughs> it's worth watching if, you know, people Several times to because you're going to miss something. Right. Should go and, <clears throat> and listen to that. So I, um, oh, watch it rather. I wanted to do music uh, scores for movies and for TV. So that's nice. what my goal. I wasn't, I, you know, I, I that's can't That's not done. You can still sing. do that. So I, I'm, I wasn't going to be like, <laughs> you know, I. Michael or Prince or definitely not Luther or James Ingram or somebody like that. James you know? Ingram, you just took me back. So, hey, that's my, my boy, childhood. James. <laughs> um, but what I... You know, I always <clears throat> saw the stuff that, that Quincy Jones did with like Sanford and Son and, you know, that, that theme song. Yeah, that's Quincy he Jones. He literally did everything. He did He's everything. kind of the whiz. Like. He, he truly is the whiz, <laughs> right? And then, you know, in the 80s, you had people like Mike Post who did mm-hmm. the music for um, the A Team and, and all of those Iconic shows. Yeah. Soundtrack. But then what really, I, I guess, started it for me was, no, I'd already graduated. Um, high school after this was in college as a music major Miami Vice because shut up yeah it it was like the perfect combination of it like, was really a long music video it, it was right it was really right. long it's the first time video, they right. would have like whole scenes right. and it would just be like yeah, right. a song and the music was the thing so <laughs> yeah. the music was like really driving that they it they, was the like the script was an awesome so that's what I wanted to do because it, you know it's like an art to uh, to, sure. to see to these things the and you know, some of my favorite musicians have, have gone on to do the Stuart Copeland who is mm-hmm. from the police uh, he does soundtracks now. Um, Jesse Johnson, the guitarist for the Times, uh, the 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 uh, the Time rather. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Morris Day. Morris Day and the Time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Jesse did like Pretty in Pink, and he did. I just other watched things. that. 
the um, song from um, um, Five Heartbeats, Nights Like This. Jesse Johnson wrote that for the fact the five that you Heartbeat. know these things. Yeah. Like, I just want to like stop here right. and mention, like, I did mention in the bio that you are a walking encyclopedia. Okay. <laughs> you know things that just the norm, the average human being doesn't know, and I dig it. Well, you know, when you're hanging out at these cocktail parties uh-huh. and people want to talk, so you you're throw recording out a couple it of, mentally. Well, no, you just want to throw out a couple of facts, and <laughs> you know, just so you could fodder for no, that. Yeah, exactly. But there weren't a lot of people doing that, right? For sure. So, and then you know, the, sort of the, the the godfather of them all is John Williams, who did Star Wars and Jaws and all of the, that iconic music. Yes, that, you the know, from people right. use his ringtone. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. So you know that was that was kind of the thing, and so I that was my trajectory, and I was headed that way. But then I um I wrote this. Novel, um, and it wasn't a very good. How one. old were you? I was twenty or so, and nice. I was in South Carolina. Um, you know, I had, um, you know, my mom didn't like give me a million dollars as a small. Yours loan. either? No. <laughs> you know, I was like, mom, lot, mom. You know, can you can you help a brother out with just just a million? That's yeah. all. That's all I'm asking cool for. Cool meal. Yeah. Not not one of those telegrams. Not from 14, coming to America. Right, just just give. <laughs> So I joined the ROTC in college, and uh, I'd gone uh, to basic training mm-hmm. um, for the Army uh, at Fort Jackson. So I was walking past this little place. It's called Juju Publishing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I was like, the, oh, cool. It's like a publishing company, right? And Juju, obviously, I thought, well, it's a black publishing well, company, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, right. so I went I Good went Juju. the next day with my little manuscript and they the lady was like, No, you know, we don't really do that. We're like a newspaper. So this guy then comes out and go, uh, can you write? Because I need somebody to write. And I was like, uh, yeah. I know the alphabet. Yeah, <laughs> I can kind of do that. So that's how I, you know, started in journalism was like purely accidental. Pitching a really bad, no, it wasn't even like a novel. It's like thirty pages, so you know you got to Novella. the yeah, you got to the <laughs> all the plot and everything was done fairly quickly, and you you, you could write, read the first couple of paragraphs and know who did <laughs> exactly. it, right? Who yeah. done it? So <laughs> so that's how I got started. Um, had no desire to to be a writer, to uh, be a journalist, and let alone write a book. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing. I always yeah. told people that. I I don't have passion enough about any topic to actually to write, write a that book. much about yeah. it. To write a book, no. And then pops out selling apartheid, which is yeah. phenomenal, by the yeah. way. Yeah, thank you. I feel like we should have the Dosa Keys music playing right. because okay. like you very literally are one of the most interesting men in the world. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. selling apartheid. Let's see, two years ago. Um. So yes. Two years released in the U.S. It was actually released in South Africa in, in uh, 2015. Cool. Um, but yeah, so the U.S. is a two-year release. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually still getting some traction. I was just on uh, WNC uh, over the debate about the statue Silent Sam. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the reporter from UNC called me up because he read my book. Because William Keyes is the only African American on UNC's board of trustees, mm-hmm. but you, he was also 
a lobbyist for the apartheid government. So, um, <clears throat> so wow. he called, yeah. So an African American was paid back in 1985, the mid 80s. He was paid four hundred thousand dollars a year. I would like to make four hundred thousand dollars a year now, right? right. <laughs> you know? Doing just about anything. so. So he, my um, gosh, so Small you know, fortune back then. Right. So he's on the board of trustees, and they're obviously debating whether or not to do a silent Sam, the the Confederate yeah. statue. Um, but the reporter at WUNC had read my book, and he was like, "Hey, tell me about this guy." So then he interviews Keys and asked him about it, and. He was like, oh, no, 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 I wasn't a lobbyist. You know, people mm. attribute a lot of things to me, and but I really wasn't. You know, I was just trying to facilitate conversation. But the paper trail says. So, exactly. So <laughs> I, the reporter then calls me back and says, well, hey, this is what he said. And I said, well, two words, ha, ha. And then, <laughs> you know, went to my computer and emailed him. William Key's lobbying documents from the 80s. I love it. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, you know, the book is, I got a good review in um, uh, Cambridge, I think it's Afri um, Journal of African History, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, I've got reviewed by Cambridge University. Ooh, yes. uh, you know, so it's it's been interesting. It, it got a pretty good reception, a, a much Bigger reception in, in South Africa, obviously, because yeah. of, you know they're closer to it. But yeah, and the knowledge of apartheid is still very right. present. Right. Well, they still live it. In right. The, exactly. In the, the aftermaths of it, but like now we're teaching it as history right. in America. But right. I mean, and they're dealing with so very a lot of the vets of you know the the apartheid movement have said. I mean, the anti-apartheid movement here in the U.S. have said, "Hey, this is mm. great. I, I like the." Like how you did this, I mean, it adequately reflects because a lot of things that they thought they couldn't prove, but the benefit of hindsight, you know, mm -hmm. I have access to all of this stuff because I got archives in the UK, in France, in Germany, in South Africa. So all of these things that they suspected, I was able to prove. Yeah, valid. Actually, did which happen. is so cool, Ryan, because I mean, obviously, I want to see this as a docuseries mm -hmm. or something because you see all of these. Um, narratives like that popping up on like Netflix right. and Amazon Prime right. where you're telling the story right. of a nation or right. a certain time period in, uh, right. of nation. And that's what Selling Apartheid is right. doing and then linking it to right. American history. And so there is this sort of cult culture right. now right. of wanting to know more. And then um, I love that you know, the average Joe is becoming a super nerd in yeah. terms of what exists in archives. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, archives are, are like great. I get excited about <laughs> <laughs> You and me both. Yeah, I was sitting, you know, <laughs> when I did the research for the book on the American side, I, got, I went out to the National Archives and I'm looking at these old I mean, because you're looking at that living history, right? You're, yeah. You're looking at the original letters that these people the, wrote. They did. Right. Ever, I, spend, uh, I spent some time in the archives that we have here in Mississippi, mm -hmm. uh, which are actually right across the street. Right, right. But, uh, and I'm looking at Eudora Welty's collection right. a great deal. But I love that there was never any indication when these things were being produced right. that a person like me would be looking at right. them, right, exactly. in this time period. Right. And so that makes them all the more, like, salacious and juicy. Right. And, and that's forbidden. what I, I did with my research um, and we're still in the process of, mm -hmm. but I've donated it all to Vitz University in South Africa so that those um, researchers and journalists in South Africa can see the original documents if they want. 
That's yeah. wonderful. I mean, a lot of legwork goes into something like that too. Yeah, yeah. With all the no, rights and I, permissions. Um, and... I still have a you know whole storage facility just for the research That's, for that. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, is there something else coming out of that, or you did selling apartheid? You're moving on to something completely different. I'm. You know, I just um, talked to my agent who's excited about mm-hmm. a proposal for a book that I'm. I'm I'm doing um, on uh, narco tunnels. Um, these are oh, drug tunnels yeah. that are dug underneath the border um, to smuggle Uh-oh. drugs. And, Magic word border, right, like yeah, the Pee Wee exactly, Herman right. crazy music comes so, on. Um, <laughs> it's a buzzword. Yeah, so it's called. Um, <clears throat> did a working title. It's called a a freaking cool tunnel, but not freaking. Um, <laughs> because the that title know, is gnarly. It's it's. The reason that this is like, you know, sort of germane to this conversation mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that the person that started the use of narco tunnels, Sel Chapo, who's actually now on trial in New York. Right. And on Netflix. Right. And on Netflix. <laughs> and but that's what he said when the original tunnel wow. was was completed. He said, Hey, tell the Columbia you know, tell the Colombians to now the drugs they have because my architect has built me a freaking, freaking cool, cool tunnel, tunnel, but not freaking. Right. More right. Exp- right. an yeah. expletive. Exactly right. So this is – the scariest thing is you, mm. know, you can do all this research and in all of these different parts of the world, which draw in mm. this new position that you right. have as well, and there are these connections. Right. Right? And so for a conspiracy theorist like myself right. – Right. I'm like making connections between everything and everyone at right. life. Like the the person that took right. my order is right. like right. exactly <laughs> taking suspicious exactly, about that. Yeah. You know right. me. That's this is so interesting. Listen, if you don't have a selling apartheid, please pick it up so that you're ready for a freaking cool tunnel when it mm-hmm. comes out. Because I mean, not that this is gonna be some trilogy or something, right. but it's the same vein of just deep research and kind of understanding the the ties that bind. Yeah. So, you know, I'm interested you've spent a great deal of time in South Africa. Mm-hmm. We're in Mississippi now. This we're both home yeah. Yeah. right now in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And uh recently I had a conversation with uh, Robert St. John, Wyatt Waters mm-hmm. And they talked about the similarities between Mississippi art and food right. culture and South Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had another conversation with Salman Rushdie, who talked mm-hmm. again about these similarities, cultural right. similarities between South Asia, India right. specifically, right, right, and Mississippi. So right. in my mind, I'm super excited because what this does is solidify, validate this notion right. of a global South existence. Right. But I wonder, besides the obvious, mm-hmm. what connections you've drawn between South Africa in your home well, here in Mississippi. Look, I mean, as someone, you know, from the state, obviously the history mm-hmm. of the state dovetails yeah. perfectly with, yeah. with the history of South Africa. And Mississippi was one of the states that supported the South African government. Um and Wait, was, say that again. Yeah. They they passed a resolution supporting the, the apartheid uh government and not common knowledge. Also in in my book, I talk about how when the um, the white citizens councils were set mm-hmm. up, people in South Africa wrote to them saying, "Hey, you know, great idea." You know, <laughs> how did you and, do that? Give and there was, a, there was a there was a there uh, was a a group, wow. and I'm drawing, I'm forgetting the name of it because I'm old. Um, <laughs> that were made up of Southerners and people in South Africa. It was yeah. like a, a a pen pal thing. So they wrote to each other. 
uh, a diabolical yeah. sort of pandemic. So, you know, that that's all in selling apartheid, uh, about the connections between wow. apartheid South Africa and... So these are not the, like theoretical. We're no, talking about no theory, this solid is like, yeah. connections. This is like real stuff. Stuff and, we don't hear about. Right. And so, you know, and there are other connections too, but I think for African-Americans... Um, you see a lot of similarities in the way people act, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I really like what. Well, you know, you see these 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 black women going to church in in South Africa, and they nice. look just like your mom. <laughs> you know, they got the hat Big with mama. the flower. <laughs> and it, yeah, and there's actually a word. I love that. That's like in several of the languages for a big mama, right? You know. Yeah. That yeah. it varies depending on mm-hmm. you know the language, but there there is a word like that. Um, you know, there's this respect for elders like we mm-hmm. do when they act like elders, that is. Uh, so yeah. we, you know, I, I think it's it's also um, just the how we approach things because of the history and, and yeah. the forces that we have, have, have like had survival. to survive yeah. and the things that we've had to overcome. I think you, mm. you, you, you talk to a South African about your experiences here, and they would immediately get it. Yeah. And the same thing for us when we you talk to a South African, they immediately get it. They don't, you don't have to explain it. You don't have to say, yeah. oh, well, this is what segregation Give is. Give analogies. Like, yeah. like yeah. oh. They immediately understand. Got it. And, you know, a friend of mine, I was talking to him about, um, you know, our, our you know, ancestors uh, and, and you know, one of the reasons I wear suits all this time is because one of my uncles. Who, As a matter of fact, you know, I don't think I've ever right, seen you seen without, without a suit. suit. <laughs> <laughs> but one of my uncles, who was like the sharpest dude that I ever saw, because he was always like, you need to be presentable. Yeah. And so I was talking to my friend in South Africa who grew up in Soweto, and it was like the same thing. And it was like, oh, you know, he, mm. his uncle was always like this guy who yeah. you always need to be presentable because it's like, you know, your mom always told you to put on like clean underwear <laughs> so, in case you get in a car accident. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, mom, so but no seatbelt. That's what that's you're what concerned about. about. The underwear, not not, the, <laughs> not my not lungs, my organs, broken legs, or anything. Nope, just make sure you got you out the clean, clean underwear. Yep. But it, it, it ties back to like her not being embarrassed, right. and right. then thus being a good mother. Right. Which these narratives right. about black women right. not being able right. to. But see, them. that's the yeah. thing again mm-hmm. in that when you talk to people in South Africa and you talk to people here, that is a a common theme that you don't embarrass your family right? mm. because you are representing wherever you are, yeah. you are representing your family. You're taking people right. with you yeah. into everything. And so home. you don't, you know, you get out there acting a fool, you're like, <laughs> embarrassing them, exactly. right? You know, so, you know, th- there's a lot and there are obviously connections between, between people coming to the U.S. Uh, and Mississippi as well. Uh, yeah. And people from Mississippi going to to South Africa. And just, uh, again, you know, that history of struggle and that history of resistance, mm-hmm. um, you know, people communicated. I was surprised the the level of communications between black South Africans and black Americans, including people really? in Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I didn't know how involved Martin Luther King, yeah. um, not a Mississippian, but, you know, right. how involved he was with the – with the um, – African National Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's not part of the sort of packaged, right. accepted narrative. Yeah, in the, in the late fifties, he he and uh, Eleanor Roosevelt mm-hmm. co-chaired a anti-apartheid 
um, thing against South Africa to you call for sanctions. a lot about sanctions. Eleanor Roosevelt. I mean, yeah. about fundamentally yeah. who she was and how, like, um, she's right. groundbreaking right. Yeah. she was for, in that position. A, both as a first lady and just as a lady on her own. Right, you know, Because exactly. even after her husband was dead, she mm-hmm. still did these things. So that was kind of surprising. I, I was I, – I didn't realize just the level of um, – and there's a lot of Mississippi stuff in the book. You know, there was a um, – a professor, a journalism professor, actually, that was enough for, for you know, again, forget his name, but mm-hmm. he did a lot of the propaganda stuff from Ole Miss, did a lot of propaganda stuff for Really now? <laughs> not picking on Ole he Miss. He disappointed at me. And Ole, said, Miss, oh, Ole Miss oh, folk, Miss. not picking on you. <laughs> just saying. Um, you know, and then there was a, a an African-American business owner from Meridian mm-hmm. who was trying to do business in South Africa. Wow. Uh, he was also the, the one of the leaders of local NW. NAACP saying, oh, you know, if I can get in there, I'll, I'll change things up. You know, because he wants to say, well, we can share stuff or sell stuff yeah. to black businesses for people's hair and, and all of huh. that stuff. But again, I mean, you are bolstering the apartheid government. Exactly. However you want to look at it. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, you know, Easterlin, the, the, the senator mm-hmm. from his, he went over to South Africa and said, look, I don't know what apartheid is, but I like it. You know? <laughs> sounds, <laughs> so, sounds good to me, right, Yeah. So, you know, again, so there's all of these Mississippi ties there. So those Mississippi ties, right. those were like just those were just part of the accurate history. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because you're a Mississippian no. that these found their way right. into you. That's interesting because, you know, I was going to ask how – much of Mississippi goes with you. You you go mm-hmm. a lot of different places across the globe. And I, I find that when I travel especially, right. that the Mississippi becomes heavier on my shoulders. Well, like I'm representing. In, in a way, because of, you know, you, it's like Mississippi is complex because you yeah. find yourself at times going off about your home state, but also defending it. It's like family. Right, like, right, I can right. talk about them. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I can talk about you, my cousin Ray Ray, uh-huh. you know, but you can't talk about Ray Ray. Like, you can't talk about right. Ray Ray. I'm a fighter. Okay, okay, Ray Ray's a drunk, but you can't say <laughs> Ray Ray's a drunk. That's my cousin. So it's 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 yeah. like that, you know. And But, look, I always consider myself and present myself, I'm a kid from – Lauderdale, Mississippi, mm-hmm. and no people, not just not Lauderdale, Lauderdale County, County, Lauderdale, Mississippi. Folks probably try to correct you on where you they from. They always do. Like, like oh, you oh, mean. Lauderdale County. No. No. Lauderdale. What's the population? Okay. So <laughs> allegedly it's 500 people. Allegedly. I, I kind of die. I don't know. I've never seen 500 people in Lauderdale. <laughs> you your it's count is a little different. Probably 350 and maybe <laughs> 150 of those are like relatives. So, <laughs> Who are know, leaving right, after yeah, Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, Cousin Ray Ray and Pookie and them. Uh-huh, so, Pookie you know, now. they. And Nim they, is like, right, you know, yeah. anywhere from two to three. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. At, at least three. So, but, you know, again, that's that's who I am, right? That's yeah. what I am. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not one of those folks who I know. People tend to think journalists are these like Ivy League educated folks, and you mm-hmm. know, grew up in the East Coast. And I'm like, I'm I grew up in East Some, Mississippi, right? yeah, exactly. Right. But the not, East Coast, not the East Coast, of right? Mississippi. We don't have a coast. <laughs> we don't have any coast. So you know, again, that's that's who I am. That's that's what made me that 
that is what I tend to represent. And, um, you know, I, I have never, like, just said I'm ashamed to be from Mississippi. I'm not actually proud to be from Mississippi. I don't always Amen. like what the state does, but right. it's still home. It's still home. Yeah. That's that's beautiful. One of the things I allowed you for is how often you are home. And I know yeah. you still got family yeah. here, but um your actions demonstrate that this is a meaningful space to you. Yeah, definitely. And so uh, you know, I would say some recent events, but recent and historical right. events have caused folks to disavow right. Mississippi. I've described it before and I'll say it again. We tend to become the portrait of Dorian Gray. Right. Everyone right. kind of wants to project right. All things negative on Mississippi right. and exactly. make you feel better right? because you're not here or you're not right. from here. Right. Um, but I appreciate um, your appreciation for home. Definitely. So one of the things that I, I try to ask guests, unless I just – we just start to digress and go mm-hmm. off in a, a different direction, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> is to tell me what Mississippi means to you just in a word. Mm-hmm. Mississippi means to – if I had to use just one word, my family. Um, Family, yeah. yeah. Because even people who aren't like biologically related, like you and I, yeah, right? Yeah. We've met in person, what, twice? Twice, maybe yeah. three right. times. And you're like my sister. Yeah, so yeah. I, like sending yeah, pictures right, of my kids. Right. Forcing you to look right. at pictures right. of my kids. It's children. not even forcing. I'm asking like, okay, when can I see the kids? <laughs> but it, it's, it's like that. And it's not just, you know, something that is – it's for you know people in Mississippi are nice, mm-hmm. um, and even you know the 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 racism and all yeah. of that stuff that exists, right? And mm-hmm. we, we you can't gloss over that, but still people are nice. They yeah. may talk noise about you, <laughs> but people will speak to you. I you, you know I always um, was walking around in <clears throat> Meridian, and you know people were like, hey, how are you doing? And, you're like in DC, you know, nobody used to say that. People, <laughs> speak, rob me. <laughs> right, people speak to you in DC. You're like, okay, why are they talking to me? What's right? up? What's, what's I'm up being with that? Right. But, you know, and that's like refreshing. It's a little yeah. scary at first because you have to remember, oh, yeah, I'm home. Mm. Yeah. Family. Yeah. That's a wonderful note to end on. Mississippi means that and much more. Uh, I think to the both of us. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. Thanks for having right me. Right on, on, Mississippi. And right on, Ron. We want Thank that you. book. Thank you. Cool freaking Thank you. tunnel. Thank you.